From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. From Capitol to Capitol today, we begin in Washington with Colorado senior Senator Michael Bennett. The Senate will soon have to balance an impeachment trial and the new administration's priorities. We're going to have to figure out how to walk and chew gum at the same time, and I think we can do that. Then, President-elect Joe Biden didn't mince words Thursday. The vaccine rollout in the United States has been a dismal failure thus far. We'll switch our focus to the state capitol and ask Governor Jared Polis about the rollout in Colorado, as people 70 and older clamor for their shots. In my regular conversation with Polis, I'll also ask him about the loss of Space Command and how he's preparing for potential violence ahead of the inauguration. Evergreen members make ongoing monthly donations in support of CPR. If you're an Evergreen member and have recently received a new credit or debit card, please update your information on file. Updating your credit or debit card will ensure that your investment in the programs you love is current. Easier still, switch to giving directly from a bank account. Your ongoing commitment to supporting in-depth news and music on CPR makes an impact. Call member services to update your card information at 800-722-4449. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. The impeachment of President Donald Trump moves to the Senate next, just as President-elect Joe Biden is set to be inaugurated with a far-reaching recovery plan. Topics my colleague Avery Lill broached with Colorado senior Senator Democrat Michael Bennett. Senator, welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for having me. In a statement after the House impeachment vote, you said, quoting here, the House has done its job. Now the Senate must vote to convict. It appears the Senate won't even reconvene until next Tuesday, the day before Biden's inauguration. Twice this week, Biden has said he wants the Senate to get right to work on his agenda, cabinet appointments, stimulus, vaccines. Isn't it inevitable that an impeachment trial will delay and overshadow that? Well, I think we have to do everything we can not to allow that to happen. And I'm for working seven days a week, if that's what it takes, uh, for us to be able to do the work of the trial at the same time that we're doing the important work uh, and the the long overdue work of confirming a new cabinet and and getting off uh, to a fast start with the Biden agenda. So we're going to have to figure out how to walk and chew gum at the same time. And I think we can do that. And what are some of the ways that you would see that that's possible? Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer are now in the middle of an interesting negotiation because Mitch McConnell is turning over the keys to Chuck Schumer. They're going to have to figure out how we schedule this. The new Georgia senators, it's my understanding, aren't even going to be sworn in until after the inauguration day. And that's when we'd be able to start on any sort of trial. But there, I've heard some discussions about setting aside half the day for the uh, trial and half the day for uh, appointments. We're just going to have to see what's, what we can get negotiated. There's also been talk of postponing the trial for a couple of months to focus on the new administration. Would you support that? I want to make sure that Joe Biden gets off to a fast start. Uh, if that enables us to do it, um, that, that might be something that we should do. I think it's very important that Donald Trump be held accountable for inciting a riot on the U.S. Capitol. So we're going to have to do it all. 
look, it's not like we've been very busy lately, so maybe this is a good time for us to roll up our sleeves and and do some hard work. I have to ask, is it even worth it to impeach a president who is no longer in office? I think it absolutely is. We are, uh, you know, to forgive the phrase because it's an old one, but a nation of laws, not of men. And if we don't reassert that uh, at a moment like this, um, political violence is what tears apart democratic republics. And we shouldn't think that we're immune from that. We're not immune from that. We saw that last week. So I think it is very important that um, that we hold President Trump accountable for his uh, insurrection, clearly an impeachable offense. He was impeached by a bipartisan vote in the House. So this can't be an either or proposition. Either Joe Biden gets off to a fast start or we let Donald Trump off the hook. I think we need to strengthen our democracy at the same time that we're pursuing an agenda that the American people and the people of Colorado desperately need after four years of Donald Trump as president and in the middle of the COVID crisis. Like you said, there was a bipartisan vote for impeachment in the House. Ten Republicans voted to impeach the president. But others in the GOP, including Congressman Ken Buck of Colorado, have argued that continuing this will just divide the country more deeply. Do you think a trial could cause even more polarization nationally? Uh, I think that we are at a point in our country's history where we've had enough polarization. And polarization, I think, which I've always thought was problematic, we're now having incredibly diminishing returns. So it's very unfortunate that, you know, that Donald Trump has been our president. It's very unfortunate that he chose to do what he did last week. But to then suggest that we, the people that are standing up for democracy and the rule of law uh, against a tyrant, are dividing the country, I think is exactly the wrong way to look at it. We do need to unify this country. And we have to come together around a set of principles that strengthens our democracy and strengthens America's role in the world. And I think that's what a Biden administration will do. A question now about another topic in Colorado right now. The Trump administration has decided to put the headquarters of the U.S. Space Command in Alabama instead of Colorado Springs. What can be done to reverse that decision? And have you been in touch with the Biden team about it? Uh, We have definitely been in touch with the Biden team. I told them that I was worried that Uh, Donald Trump would punish Colorado because Colorado hadn't voted for Donald Trump. And that, unfortunately, I think is what has happened. So we are uh, in close touch with the transition about the unfairness of this decision, the politicized nature of this decision. I plan to work with Senator Hickenlooper and the rest of the Colorado delegation to ensure the Biden administration reviews the recommendation the Trump administration made. Colorado has been the home of Space Command for years, and it should continue to be. We are home to an unparalleled combination of military and intelligence space entities. We've got the workforce, we've got the industry, we've got the experience, and, we, and we've got an incredibly supportive uh, community. So I, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to reverse this political decision. What other Colorado issues have you talked with the Biden transition team about? Well, um, they, uh, one combination is economics. So I reported to them what I've reported to everybody in, uh, in Colorado, which is after 10 years of town halls, what I've heard is people are working really hard, but they can't afford some combination of health care, housing, higher education, or early childhood education. They feel like no matter how hard they work, they can't afford a middle-class life. It's tough to get 
the kids out of poverty and they and they need help. Um, the uh, COVID has only made matters worse from a healthcare perspective, from an economic perspective, and from a mental health perspective. That's something that I hear about all over rural Colorado. So I've carried that whole set of issues into the Biden transition. There are other bills that I'm interested in as well. For example, the CORE Act, which would be the most important public lands bill that we pass uh, concerning Colorado in a quarter of a century, something I could not get done during the Trump administration with Mitch McConnell as the majority leader. I think we've got a real chance to get that done now. So I think that there's going to be a real opportunity to pass a public option to give everybody in America and Colorado the chance to have a, uh, a health care that's administered by Medicare rather than private insurance. And um, I've spent a lot of time talking to Biden folks about my ideas for that as well. Let's delve into other aspects of President-elect Biden's agenda now and yours for the new Congress. As we mentioned, Biden's immediate priorities are vaccines and the stimulus. His stimulus package includes a proposal you sponsored last year to expand the tax credit for families with children. Why do you think that's something that needs to be done immediately? Well, this is actually a a piece of legislation that I've worked on for a decade um, because of those town halls. Uh, this piece of legislation, which is called the American Family Act, which has been included in uh, the the relief package that the Biden administration is putting forth, would cut childhood poverty in America by 42 percent. In Colorado alone, it would pull 50,000 kids out of poverty. It would give a middle class tax cut to working people, to, to hundreds of thousands of families uh, in the state of Colorado. And I think it's critical that it be done now so that people can have a fighting chance to afford housing, to afford health care, to afford uh, early childhood education and higher education. So I could not be more pleased that they included this. This is something Sherrod Brown and Kamala Harris and Cory Booker and I have been working on together for years. To see it in this proposal um, is, is beyond gratifying. Should that or any other parts of the stimulus be tailored to reach people who need the most financial help, that is to say means-tested? This is means-tested, but it's means-tested at quite a considerable level because the middle class needs help, too, here. I think if we could pass this legislation and know that we cut the child poverty rate in this country by almost 50 percent, that we cut black kids' poverty by by more than 50 percent, that we cut Latino children poverty by almost 50 percent, and then we cut Native American children's poverty by uh, over 60 percent, I think we'd be amazed. We're talking trillions of dollars in the stimulus package and another that will likely be proposed later. Does it make better sense to direct the aid primarily to people who need it the most, perhaps to save some money? Uh, I think that we all, I think that this is a very well-targeted uh, piece of legislation to the people who need the money. Um, and, and I also think this is a time in the country's history when we have to begin investing in our people again uh, and in our infrastructure again. Uh, we have spent uh, the last 20 years at war in the Middle East. We borrowed $5 trillion, more than that, to fight those wars from the Chinese. Uh, we borrowed another $5.6 or so trillion to give tax cuts for the richest people in America, all uh, borrowed from the Chinese. Now is a time when this country needs us to invest again in our people 
and in our infrastructure. So there will come a time when we have to create a rational fiscal uh, strategy for the country. Uh, that time is not when we've got uh, a global pandemic and when our economy is suffering as significantly as it is. You know, I, I really think that the uh, the Trump administration and Mitch McConnell, for that matter, have colored so far outside the lines of conventional American political thought and have prevented us from making the kind of investments that are now long overdue. They've bankrupted in many ways the country because of their policies. And I don't think they can now be heard to say, we're not going to allow you to invest in our people or in our in our physical infrastructure. We just have to do it. And once the economy is growing again, once we've got an economy that's working well for everyone in the country, not just the top uh, 1% or 10%, I think that'll be a moment when we can start talking again about how to create rational fiscal policy again in this country. Moving to vaccine rollout that's been slower nationally and in Colorado than planned. What is the first step the president-elect should take to improve that? To, well, to have a national plan and to implement that plan. Donald Trump, throughout his administration, just as he, throughout COVID, had no national plan on testing, had no national plan on vaccines. The, the Biden administration is going to have a national plan. They've got a plan to try to vaccinate, I think, 100 million people in the first 100 days. We have already passed billions of dollars of, of money to support the public health infrastructure in the country and in Colorado. That's desperately needed. In fact, there's more that we need to do there. But I think that if we've got competent management with a strategic plan and the vaccines are actually being produced, we can begin to make progress. It's been shameful that the Trump administration has hadn't, I mean, not only haven't they executed, but they've had no plan to execute because they don't believe uh, that there's a federal or national responsibility here. If there's one reason that we are one nation under God, that's to face a global pandemic. Donald Trump never understood that. That's why I think he was not reelected. Joe Biden and his people do understand that. Is Biden's stated goal of 100 million COVID vaccinations in 100 days feasible, given what you've seen of the rollout I don't, so far? I, I, well, we the rollout, I don't, it's not, I think, Joe Biden can't be blamed for Donald Trump's terrible rollout. And they're going to hit the ground running. And uh, I hope they uh, succeed. And we should certainly try. I mean, we've got to try. If I can ask you one more question. It's clear this national divide extends far beyond Washington, D.C. and the presidential election. President-elect Biden has talked about the need for healing. What is that actually going to take on a community or even individual level? To me, that's the exact right way to ask this question, because it's up to us. It's not up to anybody else. It's up to all of us. Every single one who's lucky enough to live in this country, we've got a, an individual responsibility, each one of us. We can't continue to have the kind of divided uh, government that we've had. We, we are going to have to confront directly the anti-democratic, I mean, that small d democratic, forces that exist uh, in our country that were unleashed on the Capitol uh, last uh, week. Uh, we're we're going to have to confront the role that social media has played in generating conspiracy theories all over this country that have challenged our democracy and, and all Western democracies. 
mean, we have a lot of work to do. Um, I'd say the great news in all of this is that Donald Trump was not reelected, and that is going to give us a real chance to, to honor what Joe Biden said, which is we've got to come together. We've got to unify the country. He can't do that by himself. I know he has every intention of wanting to be that kind of president, the opposite of Donald Trump. I hope every American, whether they voted for him or not, is going to give him a chance to succeed. Senator Bennett, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Democratic U.S. Senator Michael Bennett speaking with my colleague Avery Lill late Thursday. So just days now before the swearing in of a new president, and we want to hear from you. Tell us something about yourself and how your life might change under the Biden administration. Leave a voicemail at 303-871-9191, extension 480. So that's CPR's main number, 303-871-9191, extension 480. Or email news at CPR.org news at cpr.org to tell us about yourself and how your life may change under a new president. We check in now with Purplish about a Colorado lawmaker who's quickly grabbed national headlines. Here are CPR political reporters Benta Berkland, Caitlin Kim, and Andy Kenny. Let's return to Congress and start with the Coloradan who I would say has probably made the most news this week. To think that I'm ignorant of D.C. carry laws just because I said I will carry is a little absurd. So who is that and what are they talking about? That is Colorado's newest Congress member, Lauren Boebert. You know, she put out this video the day that she was sworn in uh, saying she'd carry her Glock in the Capitol. and. still? Yeah, a Glock pistol, yes, around uh, Washington, D.C. and in the Capitol. And the Washington, D.C. police chief was asked about this, and he actually had to say he'd reach out to her office to make sure she understands D.C. gun laws. And this quickly became a national story, right? Yes, that and a whole host of other things became national stories with her, Mm. from her objection to Arizona's election count, her disdain for Democrats, her problems with metal detectors at the door of the House chamber, her Twitter tiffs. (laughs) Um, She's been in office less than a week before hashtag resign Boebert started trending. She's making a splash or a wave, uh, depending on how you view her. Yes, she is. And what's interesting is this is a she is a figure that we've known here in Colorado for a number of months through the election. But this is a whole new order of magnitude for Lauren Boebert. And she is now at the center of in a weird way. You don't expect to see like a a freshman get this much attention. Right. Well, also, I just don't think a lot of Colorado members of Congress do get this much national attention. Mm. Not that we don't have members of Congress in the news from time to time, but Mm -hmm. it feels like every day I'm reading seen so much news about her. I mean, she was essentially trending on Twitter earlier this week. Yeah. Caitlin, talk to us a little bit about how she's kind of hacking the normal process that a freshman would go through. I think part of it has been her Twitter. Like, like she is, you know, she, she sort of has taken a page from President Trump when it comes to getting her message out via Twitter. She sort of stays with the red meat message for the base, her base in particular, mm. you know, freedom, constitution, guns, you know, all those things that you expect from her. And, you know, she has a personality and she's not a wallflower. She is fiery. And that comes across when you talk with her. Um, we saw this as we were following her campaign this summer at, as she was out and about in the district. Like she 
doesn't hold back. She's got a good life story. Mm. She has these good sound bites that that come across well over social media these days. And she has been utilizing this. I think, you know, just as an FYI, you know, for someone who's been in politics just over a year, mm. she has the largest Twitter following of anyone in Colorado's delegation. And she has been using that uh, to her advantage. Yeah. Um, some would say maybe she's been using it a little too much. Um, and this goes into some of the Twitter tiffs that I've been talking about. She and Jason Crow have gotten into it hmm. um, at the end of December. Bobert uh, tweeted that she'd object to the electoral count. She'd also said that, not surprisingly, you know, and she tweeted out, quote, we need a groundswell of patriots, you know, unquote, mm. to demand Congress object. You know, Crow replied via Twitter, real patriots gave their lives to uphold their oaths to the Constitution. And he's made no secret of the fact that he thinks some of her rhetoric, especially on Twitter, is dangerous. Is this unusual, Lynn, to see this kind of explicit public spat between congressional members? Uh, from the Colorado delegation, yes, I think it is very unusual. I think the Colorado delegation is small enough and tight enough that, you know, they have this reputation of being a delegation, despite, you know, Republican Democratic breakdown, that get along. And, you know, personally, they do get along. Um, so this is this is an interesting and a different dynamic, and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out as the delegation works to try and get stuff done for the state. I think this really also is emblematic of what we're seeing across the country. I mean, we've got the the president's claims of widespread voter fraud, which have been debunked, but those are not fringe beliefs. I was out talking to Republican voters prior to uh, last Wednesday's riots and throughout the week, and everyone I talked to did think there were election and voting irregularities. One of the voters I spoke with, Vance Bunker from Berthoud, echoed a lot of things I was hearing from Republicans. They weren't okay with what happened at the Capitol with the riots and the violence, but they did agree with the underlying premise. Long time. Um, and I got to be honest with you, I'm sick of the lying and the stealing and cheating. There's a lot of people that are, are ready to go for it. And I don't know if that's the right answer. I certainly don't want to be involved in a civil war or anything of that nature. That's the wrong way to go. Bent, did that person mention uh, Boebert in particular? Did you talk to them about Boebert? I was talking to voters in Doug Lamborn's congressional district, ah. and that's in El Paso County near you know Colorado Springs area. So people weren't specifically talking about Boebert. I know she's getting a lot of national attention, but even when I was in the state capitol, it's not something people are casually talking about. And I'm sure if you specifically ask them, they would have a reaction, but it's not you know, it's not the first thing that's coming to their mind, given everything else that's happened. Yeah. yeah and and to sort of tag on to what Bento was saying, I, you know, and I think we need to sort of stress this yet again, and we've stressed this all through Purplish last season, there is no evidence of this widespread voter fraud that a lot of these Republicans and Trump supporters are, are talking about. You know, they're just repeating things that they've heard from Trump that, you know, Judges, lawyers, departments from within the government have said are not true. And yet this is the firmly held belief now of the majority of Republican voters. And I would say that Congresswoman Boebert, along with some other uh, newer Congress members in particular, seem to be positioning themselves as the avatar of that belief and the kind of avatar of post-Trump Trumpism. That is an excerpt of Purplish, our politics podcast. You can catch the full episode at Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.
The economy and vaccine distribution would get a shot in the arm under a plan President-elect Joe Biden laid out Thursday. Once in office, he'll ask Congress for a $1.9 trillion economic package, including stimulus checks and housing support. And Biden plans to reassert the federal government's role in getting Americans immunized. The vaccine rollout in the United States has been a dismal failure thus far. We'll have to move heaven and earth to get more people vaccinated, to create more places for them to get vaccinated, to mobilize more medical teams to get shots in people's arms, to increase vaccine supply, and to get it out the door as fast as possible. Biden's plan is to get 100 million Americans vaccinated in his first 100 days, enabling, among other things, a quick return for students to the classroom. These, of course, are all issues that deeply affect Coloradans and that we're going to discuss with Governor Jared Polis, who's on the line for our regular interview. And welcome back to the program, Governor. Ryan, it feels like there's so much we could be talking about. We could talk for like six hours. I mean, what the heck is not going on right now? Everything's happening. That's exactly right. And we'll try to cover a lot of ground today. I I do want to ask if you think the dismal failure that Biden spoke of extends to Colorado's vaccine rollout. Well, uh, we are actually one of the the top states in getting the vaccine into arms. I think what they're referring to is the quantity of vaccine. We are not receiving anywhere near enough vaccine, nor nor is any state that distributed pro rata to achieve 100 million doses in 100 days. I just talked to General Perna this morning. Uh, Next week, we'll get about 79,000 doses. It's week to week. We hope those supplies increase significantly. Uh, We'll certainly get every uh, dose and to protect somebody who's 70 and up, but uh, we've got to pick up the pace here. I just saw that Oregon's governor, Kate Brown, tweeted uh, that she learned this morning there will be no vaccine doses coming in the next week from the national stockpile, apparently because there is no federal reserve of vaccine. Is that something Colorado was relying on, anticipating? Yep, we were lied to, uh, like so many uh, so many times. Uh, it was a shock this morning when I talked to General Perna. Uh, I, I was informed, it's, it's public in the Washington Post and other places, the, there was no reserve. So what President Trump said about releasing it was false. Uh, uh, look, I mean, I, we should have known not to believe a word that comes out of his lips. Um, but when, it's, when he lies about things like this, it, it costs lives. Now, to be clear, this was additional vaccine, the bonus vaccine. We were expecting, right. This was going to be three weeks they were holding back. That was the second dose. It would have been 200,000 to 250,000. We were ready to deploy it next week in Colorado. Uh, now uh, it's confirmed that it doesn't exist, uh, despite what the president said. So uh, we're just getting the 79,000 doses next week. I note that today was the deadline you had hoped to inoculate all the folks in 1A, so frontline healthcare workers. Will this affect meeting that deadline? Is the state going to meet the deadline? No, we, we're, we're largely there. We've been doing folks that are 70 and up now for uh, close to two weeks. Uh, you know, obviously also folks that are, that are uh, medical and first responders. But uh, now, uh, essentially all of our supply going forward uh, goes to uh, folks age 70 and up to protect our most vulnerable. Okay, so the lack of doses in the national stockpile will affect older Coloradans moving forward. Has the Biden administration been in touch with you to see what Colorado most needs? And, and if not, what would you tell them? 
Yeah, I mean, look, as of what, two or three days ago, when I talked to the, the Biden transition folks on COVID, they also that they thought there was a national stockpile as well. So the Trump administration had been telling them that there was one. Uh, the governors all thought there was one. And on a White House call uh, three days ago, they said there was a national reserve that they would be releasing and not holding back those doses. So every governor who was competent made plans to distribute hundreds of thousands of doses next week. Um, apparently, those vaccinations simply don't exist. And uh, we're, they're going to continue at the trickle that they've been been coming. You talked about Colorado's vaccine rollout being relatively good compared to other states. I do want to reflect the frustration that we're hearing uh, from Jeannie Archer, for instance, of Denver. She says trying to figure out who has vaccines and where to get them is a nightmare. Archer is trying to help her 90-year-old neighbor and spent, quote, literally hours on hold being directed to websites whose information is out of date or inaccurate. She said this should not be this complicated. Governor, what if you don't have a nice neighbor to help you navigate things or time to spend on the phone like that? Yeah, you know, there's no reason to be on the phone or to do that. You simply go to the covid19.colorado.gov site, uh, click on vaccination, and you sign up. with. You can sign up with UC Health or Centura or Kaiser. Uh, you don't even have to be a member of those. And then here's the frustrating part. You might not be called the next day. It might be a week. It might be two weeks if you're 70 and up. But every day they're using every dose that they have. So there's no need to wait on hold. Uh, simply sign up with one of the providers uh, and and you'll you know be, be called in a random fashion. Uh, and in the meantime, you might have a chance to go earlier if there's one in your neighborhood. We've done vaccinations at black churches in Denver and the San Luis Valley and Center uh, and San Luis, where everybody in town who's 70 and up can come by and get vaccinated. So, you know, if, if you happen upon one of those, go for it. But in the meantime, sign up with one of the providers and uh, you'll be up in the next few weeks. So I think it's really important what you said there. You do not have to be, for instance, a Kaiser or a Centura member. You don't have to necessarily be in those systems to sign up for their vaccines. Is that what I heard you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. They are randomizing uh, their allotment for people that are in and out of their system that sign up. Uh, they they have databases of people that are 70 and up who've been to you know, Censure or UC Health, and, and, and they're easy to fill out demand with those. But anybody who signs up from the general public is on the same footing for the randomization as somebody who's, who's a customer there. There's no charge. It's free. Uh, nobody should. If anybody tries to charge you out of pocket, it's a scam. Don't do it. Uh, these are free for everybody, paid for by the federal government. Governor Jared Polis joins us for our regular conversation. Governor, we spoke recently with a doctor from Denver Health who helped advise the state on its vaccine rollout. I asked Dr. Anuj Mehta if he could picture mass vaccination drive-throughs, sort of like the drive-up testing centers we've seen. And uh, this is something, by the way, the president-elect envisions. Dr. Mehta, though, cautions that such a campaign would require Wi-Fi to log people's health information. And then you have to have generous parking because people have to be monitored for a few minutes for allergic reactions. Can you overcome those difficulties and have these sorts of things statewide? Well, well look, right now, uh, look, there's a few states that are doing them, it seems like it's mostly for show because we don't have the quantity to do it. Um, if we're getting 75,000 vaccines in the whole state, 
that is a very easy number to get out through pharmacies and hospitals and community health clinics. You know, if, if we had two or three hundred thousand like we thought we were going to get when when we were told by the president that there was a reserve. Uh, sure. You can do a larger scale drive through site. So it all depends on quantity. We have plans to do it. You know, UC Health is talking to Denver and Coors Field. There's other plans in other areas of the state. But it doesn't make any sense to do it if we don't have the vaccine to, to actually uh, to actually use there. I mean, it's against that backdrop. I want to ask you about the president-elect's, I don't know if it's a promise, but it's certainly a goal to get 100 million shots in arms in his first 100 days. Given all of the conditions that you've explained there, is he setting himself and the American people up for failure? Well, look, that gets you into, what, April. Um, So they would hopefully have more visibility into the supply chain than I do, meaning uh, conversations with the CEOs at Pfizer, at Moderna. There's a third one that we hope the FDA approves soon, Johnson & Johnson. Uh, We hope those quantities come on board. So we'd be thrilled. The administration putting it into the arm to protect somebody who's 70 and up, you know, 60 and up, a teacher, uh, a grocery store worker. When we get into all those numbers, 100 million, you know, that's a third of our population. We'll have completed most of those groups. But, uh, yeah, we need we just need the vaccines in the state. We'll get them in, in the arm of somebody to protect them within a week. Johnson & Johnson, the third vaccine you are awaiting. Can you say anything more about that? I sure can. Uh, I can tell you that it's a one-dose vaccine. Uh, it is uh, currently phase three being evaluated. We hope to have an emergency use uh, within the next several weeks. Um, I'm optimistic about that. We don't yet know the quantities. But the quantity of Moderna and Pfizer is in that thirty to 40,000 a week range. We would be hopeful that Johnson & Johnson would be additive to that uh, in that same range, potentially higher because uh, it's not a two-dose regime. So remember, those other ones, you effectively have the number of people that you can give them to because um, you know each person requires two, 21 or 28 days apart. Johnson & Johnson is one and done. This week, Denver County, which of course is Colorado's most populous, learned that it could participate in the five-star program, which means that businesses can open up to more people if they follow strict guidelines in Denver. Meanwhile, a new COVID-19 variant has been detected in Colorado, is likely circulating, and signs are that it's more contagious. Uh, Would you anticipate tightening restrictions again if there is a dramatic turn, especially with that mutation? You know, that's why this is such a huge blow today that there was no National Reserve that, you know, President Trump said he was sending to us. We were expecting two to three hundred thousand vaccines next week. This is a race against the clock to get people vaccinated uh, in Colorado. When from the very first vaccine we got, we put down the rule that anybody we work with, you have 72 hours to get it into somebody's arm or resigning it to somebody else. We don't want these, you know, horror stories from other states where they're sitting on shelves. We want every vaccine used. That's the urgency of this. That's the need, the imperative to reach uh, President-elect Biden's goal of 100 million in 100 days or better. I mean, this is a race against the clock, and we've got to get it done. As always, uh, Ryan, we look at hospital capacity. Right now, we're in a far better place than we were in, in early de- early December. We had 1,600 people hospitalized at our peak. We were right up against having to activate Uh, additional care sites. Uh, Now we're at about 800, 810 hospitalizations for COVID. That's still a lot of people that are in the hospital. But currently in Colorado, we are not up against our capacity. And that is what you monitor to see what sorts of restrictions need to be on communities. Uh, Given the news of the stockpile, do you have any doubts about Denver moving forward with its 
five-star program? Well, uh, what, what this basically does, and, and we've had communities like Mesa County that uh, have been in, they in, in, invented five-star, it basically rewards uh, businesses that take the right health precautions so they can effectively be open uh, if they go above and beyond, if they have the, the ventilation, if they enforce the mask wearing. I mean, this is a time when the virus is extremely prevalent across our entire country. I think we've had the most deaths in the last week in the United States than in the entire time that we've had the pandemic. We're, of course, doing a little bit better here in Colorado, but roughly one in 112 Coloradans are currently contagious with the virus. So it could be somebody who doesn't know it. It could be somebody at the grocery store. It could be somebody that you encounter. That's why we need to avoid socializing with people outside of our home, wear masks around others, and keep a distance. Before we take a break, Governor, one more question, because we are going to continue, I know, to hear from Coloradans who uh, want the vaccine and are having trouble finding where to get it. I want to be crystal clear. You said that on the state's COVID-19 website that there is a place to sign up or it just points you to other providers. Get brass no, tacks no, for a moment. Where, yeah, where, where you sign up depends on where you live. So you go to the COVID website, covid19.colorado.gov, click on vaccine, and it has the correct link for UC Health, for Kaiser, for Centura, for... SEL for community health clinics for some counties that have stood up their own. So there's probably 15 or 12 links on there. You want to click on the one that's convenient to you and you want to set Boulder Community Health on there, Vail Health. So a lot of they're, they're on there. As we get more, we put them up. Uh, pretty good geographic spread now. We augment that with, as I said, regional clinics. And if there's one that you're fortunate to come across, go for it at your church or in your neighborhood. Uh, but get on one of those lists. Uh, folks that are 70 up, you may get the email tomorrow. You may get it in two weeks, but you will get it. And everybody who wants it who's 70 and up will have the vaccine in Colorado by the end of February. We're estimating at least 70% of 70 and up by the end of February is our goal. All right. We will pick this conversation up after a short break, Governor. As you said at the beginning of our interview, there's lots to talk about uh, even beyond vaccines. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. The coronavirus vaccine is rolling out across the state, and CPR News has what you need to know about when it's your turn. You'll find complete coverage online, including our guide to COVID vaccines in Colorado, with details on different phases of vaccine distribution statewide and a county-by-county guide to make appointments now for adults over 70. Search for COVID vaccines in Colorado, your always up-to-date guide at CPR.org. You're back with Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. Let's rejoin my regular conversation with Colorado's Democratic Governor, Jared Polis. Governor, the FBI sent a memo this week warning of possible armed protests at all 50 state capitals leading up to the inauguration. What, if anything, have you heard specific to Colorado? Well, we work closely with Denver Police Department, uh, general area of jurisdiction around the state capitol. Uh, we uh, they're in conversations, and we're part of it with our state troopers, with Aurora, uh, with other nearby jurisdictions to make sure we have the law enforcement resources we need uh, to keep the peace uh, and ensure a peaceful transition of, of power in Washington. Any specific threats that you're concerned about in Colorado? Any specific actions that you're taking to seal the capital, as it were? Well, yeah, it, uh, it, it will be obviously there, the legislature will be out and, and it will be protected. Uh, and we have the law enforcement resources to do that. We also sent 
uh, over 200 Colorado uh, National Guardsmen to Washington, D.C. Uh, to help uh, protect our nation's capital and ensure a peaceful transition. Indeed, you sent them to Washington. Do you think that the National Guard will be needed here for protection? Well, I, I sure hope it's just a visibility thing. I hope that we'll, people will see the, the police department, the, the police resources there uh, from several different police departments, and, and that will be a deterrent to the kinds of actions that we were all devastated to see occur in our nation's capital last week. Earlier this hour, my colleague Avery Lill spoke to U.S. Senator Michael Bennett and asked him about the deep divide in this country, about uh, conspiracy theories that are fueling a lot of the distrust of government right now. Do you see a role for yourself in bridging that chasm? Well, look, uh, you know what, we, we, uh, my sort of motto is Colorado for all, and that means it's a Colorado for, for everybody. We're a very diverse state. We respect everybody. Um, you know, we're also a, a state and a people that respect uh, objective truth and fact. Everybody's, uh, you know, what the saying is, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, but not their own facts. So let's have a fact-based discussion. I was proud of our Republicans and Democrats in our state legislature came together around our state stimulus in the special session that I called tax relief for restaurants. We got $375 out the door for people who are unemployed because the federal government couldn't come together and Congress took months to get it done. So, uh, look, we're able to work together here, and that's an important Colorado value. The Colorado legislature opened this week, but because of the COVID pandemic, will adjourn today and return for real business in mid-February. What will your legislative priorities be at that point? Uh, certainly, it's about building back stronger and, and, and how we can use the, the sort of one-time funds we have, stimulus funds, to create jobs today. Uh, and also build that legacy for our future and the infrastructure we need to succeed, giving Colorado competitive advantage, helping our small businesses. Uh, all of those things are absolutely critical uh, in, in, in the next session. And I'm excited to work with Republicans and Democrats to get it done. Where would you like those investments made? Uh, in our budget that we presented a couple months ago, we included some suggestions. We're very open to suggestions from Republicans and Democrats in the legislature, but essentially for it to be a a qualifying project that it would need to be able to be invested one time, spent down ideally in 12 months, longest would be 18 months, not an ongoing expense. So roads, bridges, parks, retraining of workers, um, you know, those are the kinds of things that are one-time investments that pay dividends for years and help put people to work today. And that with the one-time funds we have in the one to one and a half billion dollar range for the state, um, we'll look forward to working with the Joint Budget Committee and the legislature to get it done. You recently reached the halfway point in your term, two years in office, and in a statement you cited a couple of major accomplishments, a health care reinsurance program that has lowered costs on individual plans, full-day kindergarten. I, I want to ask a, a full-day kindergarten if it is sustainable given the continuing economic impact of the pandemic. Uh, yeah, well, absolutely. That was it's one, of, and not only that, the voters passed with sixty-seven percent are universal preschool initiatives. So, free preschool will be starting in twenty twenty-three. If there's a lot of young parents out there, expecting parents, that'll help their family budget quite a bit. Uh, and 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 it was just, I was so proud to see our core initiative after accomplishing kindergarten was preschool, and to see Republicans, Democrats, in every part of the state 
it's hard to get to 67%, Ryan. I was just so proud that Colorado stepped up and said, you know, we're putting kids first and every kid deserves the ability to go to preschool and kindergarten. Are either of those programs jeopardized because of the economics of the pandemic? Uh, no, I think they're more important than ever before, especially if we value, which we do, the workforce and building back stronger. Uh, it's absolutely critical to have preschool and, and kindergarten in place, along with every other grade level. Uh, our education system, uh, and, 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 and if you have kids, you see this, it's been a tough year. And uh, catching kids up is going to require extra work of all ages. And for those younger kids, preschool and kindergarten, making sure that they don't fall behind in the first place. Uh, there's obviously a smaller kindergarten class this year because many virtual is harder to do for the younger kids and many parents with summer birthdays of their kids are you know going to start kindergarten next year so as that matriculates up there's going to be a particularly small class and then a followed Mm. by a particularly large class just because of decisions parents make this remains imperative for you uh, even you say in the economic conditions the colorado is facing yesterday you released what you're calling a climate roadmap Uh, This specifies how the state will achieve the goals in its 2019 Climate Action Plan. Uh, It includes plans for utilities to move from carbon to renewable energy sources really fast. Most have committed to 80% emissions reductions by 2030. Uh, With this roadmap, should people be ready to see their electric bills go up? Uh, Quite to the contrary, Ryan. Uh, The sooner that we can retire costly coal energy and move to low-cost solar and wind, the sooner we'll recognize those savings on our monthly bills. That's as Tri-State likes to call it, and they committed to 80%. They call it the green energy dividend. Um, Lower rates for ratepayers, more distributed generation, retiring uh, costly coal plants early. So we're very excited about this transition driven by the simple economics. We now have over 99% of the emissions generated by utilities. So effectively all utilities uh, will be at at 80% uh, reduction in emissions by 2030. Some are going further. Holy Cross, 100% by 2030. Platte River, 90% by 2030. Uh, My goal when I ran for office, uh, of course, 100% by 2040. It becomes very realistic and realizable when you start seeing folks in the 80 to 90% range in nine years from now. And then you have another 10 years to close that last gap of of 20%. You do not expect, then, a bump in electric utility rates, even in the short term? Well, as I said, they're going, they're going down. I mean, it's a green energy dividend. I mean, Tri-State uh, is cut, cutting, cutting their, their rates for their members. They serve many of the co-ops. Uh, they also are allowing the co-ops a higher cap to, for local generation, a lower cost. It's simple economics. You have solar and wind projects in the 2 to 3 uh, cent uh, range per megawatt hour. You have, um, you know, coal coming in at three times that cost. So the sooner we can move away from those sunk costs, the heavy operational costs to uh, cleaner, greener, lower cost energy, the sooner we can recognize those savings for Coloradans. It's like the math on a car. If you have a gasoline powered car, you're paying, you know, you're paying two bucks a gallon and, and it costs you a lot of money to operate. If you have an electric vehicle, you're getting much lower cost per mile traveled. And that'll help make travel more affordable, especially as with scale, electric vehicles uh, cost even less than internal combustion engines, which we expect to happen in the next few years. Finally, Colorado will not be the permanent home to U.S. Space Command, whose temporary headquarters are in Colorado Springs. We learned this week that Alabama has been chosen. You have called that decision misguided. Others, including Senator Bennett, have said this is more political than practical. Uh, What are the economic effects of that decision by the Trump administration? 
Well, I, I don't think the epitaph has been written yet. Uh, we're certainly going to encourage and already have the incoming administration to really look at this on the merits. The truth is it costs taxpayers billions of dollars to move it. It hurts the mission of military readiness to move it. Uh, and if, in fact, it was done for political reasons, and as has been reported, uh, we hope that it can be done according to the recommendation of the military uh, to keep it here in Colorado. Anything else you're lobbying the Biden administration on? Well, I talk to them regularly, um, especially on the COVID response. Um, we're, as you know, one of the states that's done better in terms of getting the vaccine into arms and uh, and had a lower incidence in some of the states that were harder hit. So we're trying to share some of those best practices, uh, making sure that they know the urgent need to get us more vaccine. I'm curious if you've had any lingering health effects just because you brought us back to COVID-19, Governor. If you or the first gentleman have had any lingering health effects from COVID, you, you both uh, tested positive. No, I, I feel fine. Thank you, Ryan. I, I fully recovered a little under the weather for a week or so. As you know, Marlon had a worse case, had to spend two days in the hospital. Uh, but thank you for asking. But no, I'm feeling fine. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Give me a chief goal you have in the next two years of this administration. Get End the pandemic. Build back stronger than ever before. Uh, have an even more amazing Colorado. Okay. Thank you so much, Governor, for your time. I'm grateful for it. Hey, thank thank you, Ryan. Stay safe. Uh, People can stay up to date with the pandemic, covid19.colorado.gov. When your age group or or work uh, is, is eligible, that's where you can find providers near you where you can sign up to be part of a randomized process to get it when it becomes available. All dependent on the vaccine we get in the scheme of things, only 79,000 doses for all of Colorado next week. There's going to be a lot of disappointed people, Ryan, because it's simply not enough uh, vaccines to meet the urgent need that we have. And at CPR.org, we have frequently asked questions about COVID-19, about the vaccine that can be a resource to you. Democrat Jared Polis there, governor of Colorado. Thanks so much to the team that puts Colorado Matters together every day. Carl Bielek. Ali Butner. Andrea Dukakis. Michelle Fulcher. Matt Hers. Michael Hughes. Carla Jimenez. Avery Lill. Pedro Lumbrano. Alexandra McMahon. Patrice Mondragon. Shane Rumsey. Paolo Schalzina. And I'm Ryan Warner. This is CPR News.